So many people have demanded we get Mike Tarraga back on the podcast. In the recent months, his first podcast, Ted Heath Victim Part 1, has got well over 100,000 views in three weeks, and it just keeps going and going and going. And Mike has had kind people all over the world send him messages of love and support. Below this video in the description box are links to Mike's Facebook, to how to get a hold of him and send him your love and support, links to his first book, and we are going to be talking about his second book also in this podcast. We've got Wildman co-interviewing, and if you've not seen Wildman's other stuff, there is a Wildman playlist in the description box below this video. Wildman now has done dozens of videos, dozens of co-interviews. He's got his own crazy stories, so I urge people to go down and check those out as well. Now, in the first interview, we filmed in a hospital. Mike is now out of the hospital, doing much better. And Mike has looked at the podcast that he's done the first one and he said that there's tons more stories he's not told us about his young years about his prison experience and about his life now but before we go over those we are gonna start because some of these questions might provoke that content anyway i've got three pages of questions that have been sent in by people so question number one mike and thanks for coming back is in your first interview with Sean, you stated that, that when you were moved to the convent, that those were the happiest days of your childhood where you found love and warmth. After that, you stated that you just couldn't hack it and that you would steal and be a bully, which led to discipline. Do you think the inability to accept the love was because of anger that had built over time or because you had been told for so long you were not worthy of that love? It's probably a combination of both. I'd never been used to being hugged and not having to give anything back in return. I'd never been used to being given a certain degree of trust. Remember, I was young, and I think I was quite intelligent. So others might say half-wit. But... <laughs> The nuns were fantastic. Now, it was a strange setup because I was in one house and my brother and sister were in another house, two two houses in the same building, but run as separate identities. So I didn't see Mario, I didn't see Melita except in church. And these nuns, bless them, were just so full of love that it was, it's hard to describe, but... They decided that <laughs> I think back and I laugh. We'll let this boy be a server in the chapel. Probably the most beautifulest chapel I've ever seen in my life. And I've been in a few, mainly to rob them, but I've been in a few. <laughs> and they said, we're going to make you a server, which meant that I got to swing the incense for the old... Vicar, and I got to ding the bell at appropriate times during the services. But being the arse that I was, 
I ding the bell at the wrong time, purposely, and I used to swing the incense around my head. And this didn't go down well. I thought it went great. But it, it was the first place I ever fell in love. But the girl made the mistake of not returning that love. And um, her hair caught fire one day. <laughs> she, we had candles. It was Easter, midnight mass. And I leaned forward when I shouldn't, and her hair went up in flames, which didn't go down well. Was that done uh, on purpose, or was that actually um, an accident? I think a bit of both, actually. Yeah. I didn't realise that her hair was going to go whoosh. You know, she had frizzy hair. Yeah. And um, Probably had her spraying shit on. It's an awful well, for her and stuff like that. No, she was only 10. Oh. <laughs> and, I, and I was only sort of 10. Oh, you could have done it on purpose. You know, and I don't know, but um, it was the start of a catastrophe. Yeah, this accident. Her mother worked there, Auntie Dorothy, and we never spoke again. But it's strange because I had an urge. I said to Georgie one day, I said, George... I'm going to see if Sister Helen's still alive. Sister Helen was great. Yeah. She was six foot of penguin. That's the only way you can describe <laughs> her. You know, all in black with the white wimpo, etc. And she was used to say to me after she'd give me a bloody good cane in for stealing half a crown or whatever, she used to say, God loves you, but I don't like you right now. And she'd give me a big hug. Yeah. And being hugged by her was like being hugged by a bear or being hugged by you. You know what I mean? Something that I wouldn't welcome. Yeah. <laughs> and um, don't say that the wrong way, by the way. You're but, getting a hug later on anyway, so. But um, <laughs> I, I said to Georgie three, three years, four years ago, I said, George, I want to see if Sister Helen's alive. And I made a phone call. The convent in London Coney had been sold off yeah. to the Catholic Church. But they had a convent in Oxford. And I got the address. And this is weird. And Georgie's outside and she will verify what I'm telling you. Right, I've told some shite in my life, but this is perfectly true. And I rang up and I said, is that the All Saints convent that used to be in London Coney? And this chap said, yes. I said, who are you? You don't expect a chap to answer in a convent. No, you're not, dear. And he said, I'm the administrator for the convent. I said, I'm trying to trace a sister, Helen, who ran St. Raphael's children's home in which I resided. And he asked my name, I told him, and he said she stood right alongside me. Wow. And I, I spoke to her and she said, I've been waiting 50 years for this phone call. <coughs> and that was weird. And I said, can I explain about Georgie and I together? I didn't tell her I'd spent a vast part of it in institutions and jails and yeah. whatever. I said, can we come down and see you? And she said, yeah. And we arranged to go and see her in Oxford. And I got a phone call three days later from the convent from a sister, Jean Margaret, who had been a novice nun mm -hmm. at St. Raffles at the time, 
And she said to me, oh, Peter, because I was called Peter then. My name's Michael Peter. Yeah. She said, Sister Helen passed away yesterday. At least she got to talk to her, though. So we went down to the funeral and there was other kids there. Mm. In fact, the girl whose hair I set fire to was there. Wow. And um, for the funeral. And Jean Margaret said to me, Every day of her life, she used to pray for you, you know. Wow. Every day. Now, that's astonishing. I don't talk to God. Me and God have no relationship whatsoever. Yeah. You know, I don't talk to him. He don't talk to me. And we're quite happy with that. But I thought, bloody hell. Probably the wrong words to use. Yeah, but for such a sake of... Time of day out, considering you burns the fucking hair too, you know what I mean? But I couldn't... The fact that they were giving so much love when I was there, I couldn't accept that. Because always at the back of the mind is, what do they want? What are they after? I know they're nuns, you yeah. know, but it's always there. And I behaved disgracefully. Absolutely. In, in fact... They had to send me away. I got so bad. Uh, have you always been like that? Or is it through what's happened to you? Up until... Why are you like that? My life was like that up until I got sent to the shrink factory. Yeah. He was abused from age four. And um, the shrink factory and deciding that I didn't want to take drugs anymore, coming off drugs, going cold turkey... Wouldn't recommend that to anyone at all. No. But it worked for me. What was your preference? Acid. Acid. But I took everything. Yeah. If there was a drug, I was going to take it, and I did take it. And I was a mess. Although I, did, I thought I was Jack the Lad looking good, you know. But in actual fact, I was a bloody idiot. A raging idiot. A tormented idiot. Yeah. Yeah, I used to smoke a couple of ounces a week a week. Ah, oh, right, right. And just what was there. your preference, Rocky Lake? Well, I like black. Yeah, 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 soft black. I did like black. And I grew a nice little liking for grass. Yeah, yeah. I don't like grass. I don't like, I don't like the green they've got out now. I smoke Rocky and I smoke, like, pollen. Oh, I like pollen. Which is like lebbing it, really. But I can't see any point in mixing anything with it. No, You've no, got no. Drink, you know, smoke it neat. And oh, you should just send me off my head. I used to do that years ago. I used to do it. I used to get like a milk bottle, take the bottom off it, or do hot knives. Yeah, oh yeah, hot. We used to. You can't. After knives in my fucking drawer, a fucking like needles in the jail. Yeah, needles in jail. Yeah, Yeah, with the big pen. God, it's like a convict's reunion. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we started out as a prison channel. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. and it was only going to the shrink factory with no drugs in me and meeting George that I thought, oh, there's got to be something more to life here. Two thousand and eight. Met Georgie, we've been together ever since, and um, I can say this unequivocally, we have never had an argument. And our first night together was on a floor in a flat that had no front door, been smashed in by the police. But there must be... I can't can't, um, get my head around, but not having a row. Me and my... I've been married 
over seven years. Bring her in. She's out there and ask her. No, I believe she you. Can't I, hear I believe what's being you. Said here. I believe you. I totally believe you. It's, it's astonishing. I love it. I love the fact that we don't argue. We don't want to argue. And um, well, you think about it. If you look at the long term, life's too fucking short to fall out, isn't well, it? She knows I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> See now we've only said that in my house it cause a fucking argument. <laughs> Our house, not my house. No, we don't <laughs> We laugh at each other. Yeah. We laugh at and with each other. Oh, and that's the difference. She Very t- commendable. She rips the piss out of me and um like believe it or not, she's my carer. Right. Ah, right, right. right. And um, I'm her carer. Yeah. And I always labour the point to her. I don't get paid for caring for her. You know what I mean? She gets paid for caring for me. And I I say to her, what do you do? You refuse point blank to give me a bed bath. Even before I I had the bloody stroke. You know what I mean? But she's fantastic. That's nice. That's nice. She is, how can I describe George? Georgie sees Barmy. She's stunningly beautiful in my eyes, but then again, I do need glasses. In every way, she's beautiful. And she is the beat that keeps my heart ticking. Who's the cook in the house? Who does the most cooking? Or do we you don't do? cook. <laughs> you do cook? No. <laughs> the last meal that Georgie cooked, full meal, was two years ago at Christmas. We, we don't have dinners, we graze. Yeah, yeah. We graze, you know, I might have a bacon sandwich or toast, you know, or something like that. We, we don't have meals. We don't use enough energy to eat meals. Yeah. You know, I smoke like a bloody trooper and I drink huge amounts of coffee. Is that what your favourite is, coffee, like? Yeah, black coffee and Yorkshire tea. I won't drink any other tea unless it's Yorkshire tea. And... um yeah, she's she's the boat that keeps me afloat, and I love her. Nice. You know, that's all I can say about George. Nice words, then. Going on to this next question, then, Mike. The day you met Captain John Campbell was obviously a huge turnaround in your life. He was quick to tell you that he knew your history and then ask you if you smoked... And finding out that you did, he gave you several cigarettes, which led to you asking what he wanted in return. Were you expecting him to abuse you at that time instead of telling you that he wanted you to make something of your life? Don't know what I was expecting with Captain Campbell. He was um, a man of great stature. He he really was. and He he was a four-ringer. So he was a full-blown captain, and um, he was a strange bod, very strange man. And he was a gentleman. That's the only way. I've sailed with a few skippers who have been pure asses, real asses. But he, he was an absolute gentleman. And when he gave me, if I remember right, it was a packet of ten number six tips and he gave me them and I looked at him the only people who'd ever given me anything in my life were people who wanted my ass. yeah 
to be quite honest, you know, to be blunt, and who had taken my ass. And I said to him, what do you want, thinking, have I got to give this fella a blowjob, have I got to, you know... And he just said to me, he looked at me, and he looked me straight in the eye, and he said, young man, he said, all I want is for you to do something with your life. Don't ruin it. And he introduced me to a senior lad, a chap called Alan Warren, who, funny enough, he saw the podcast, an ex-inspector of the police, mm-hmm. right? That's what he became. And he rang me up out of blue, Alan Warren. Wow. And I can show you on the phone. And I talk to him every other day. We video chat each other. He's married, got a family, etc. And he was he became what was my tug. He showed me the ropes at the nautical school, put his head. Right? Oh, okay, right. He was a senior lad. He was a leading hand. Um and old Alan, he he showed it me properly. He came from Battersea. Yeah. So we had that in common. And he was the first guy, he said to me, you're not going on Sunday parade, the first Sunday that I'm there. He said in number eight, which was working, Rick. Yeah. He said, you're going in full blues. And he got me a full uniform. And he gave me, Alan gave me the feeling of being proud. And... I knew then that the childhood had gone, you know, and um, maybe I could do something, although I didn't, not for a long, long time, for many, many years. But we lost touch completely. But he saw Sean's podcast, and this is weird because he sent a message on Facebook. He said, there's only one Tarragon. And I rang him, and he sent a friend's request. Oh. And I, I rang him, and I thought, fuck me, what is going on here? And we chatted for the best part of two hours on the phone, <laughs> just reminiscing, and, you know, I was telling him what a cunt I've been, if you pardon the expression. And he said, I know, he said, because I've been following you. Isn't instead a wonderful thing? It's yes and no. It has its good moments and its bad moments, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, but, um, yeah, John Campbell, I think he laid the foundation for what I am today. Yeah. You know, and he's dead, he's long dead now. But he is one of the few that I had a huge amount of respect for. Huge amount. Can I ask you a personal question? Yeah. You know the people what did fucking nasty shits here? Yeah. Didn't you ever feel like killing them? Every day. What stopped you from acting upon it? I didn't want to do a life sentence in jail. It wasn't worth, yeah. And, I I mean, when I was in the jails, we're talking days of bread and water and all this shit. Mm -hmm. You know, you had to be doing a three-stretch to get a radio. Slop out, whatever. Yeah, you had to slop out. And you had to do a five-stretch before you could have a fucking budgie. Yeah. Although I did eventually get two budgies, Tart and Geezer. 
who I must admit I had wonderful, wonderful conversations with. <laughs> <coughs> I didn't know you could get a fucking budgie. <coughs> oh yeah, you can have budgies then. I see like Shawshank Redemption when they get like. Uh, oh, this is before. This is nothing like Shawshank Redemption. No. No. This is when days when screws used to punch your head rather than put you on a report. You know what I mean? It was. I prefer that though. Yeah, the jails were hard, rough. Yeah, I prefer, I prefer a good like fucking. Kick I remember in. the first when I the first night in Borstal in Wormwood Scrubs, I cried. The bed was on the floor. Yeah, wouldn't move. It cemented, and you just had a mattress, and the stool was like a tree trunk in there, cemented to the deck. Yeah, and the table was a bit of wood hanging out the wall, and I cried. And I rang the bell, and the screw put his eyes, <laughs> one eye to the. Spile, and he said, "Shut the fuck up! You're in prison now." Oh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, "I better do as he says." No book. The only book they used to give you was a fucking Bible. Well, if you were able to rung the bell again, he'd punch you in the face, wouldn't he, and say, "You get off the fucking bell. Yeah. It's for emergencies." Oh, yeah. It was. It was a different world. Yeah. But I didn't want to do life, and although I went to jail many, many times. And I had some fun in jail. I got arsehole in jail on numerous occasions. Totally drunk. Yeah. And, you know, there, it had many good facets to it. I didn't want to do a life sentence because no. life, you could be held for life. You know, there was no ifs, no buts about that. But did I think about killing them every day up until I met George? Every single day. In fact, there were times when I actively looked for him. It's good that you didn't because it's, I mean... Yeah, I'm pleased I didn't. It's wasted enough of your life as it is, you know what I mean, for you to actually go and get Uh, revenge. I'm 70 years old. Yeah. Out of that 70 years... You look well for that, by the way. I've had probably... 12 good years, and that's been the last 12, with, well, since 2008, mm. with Georgie. Before that, it was a mess, a total, utter mess. Just in and out, in and out, in and yeah, out. Yeah, in and out, you know, poncing about around the world and robbing people, doing a thing, you know. Well, what's your main, um, like, crime? Well, like forgery. And forgery, yeah. Fraud, yeah, I was a good con man. Well, not that good, because I used to go to jail for it. You'd think that's more white collar, wouldn't you? Well, I used to wear a shirt and tie sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody likes a cheeky bastard. Yeah. That's why the Scouses are liked all over the world. Yeah. Right, while the Scouses talking to you, they're nicking the hubcaps off the Rolls Royce, for fuck's sake. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and they get away with it. I think that white, that the white van man was going to get you fucking your wheels off your wheelchair before. <laughs> you know, they're, they're the best comedians in the world, but... And they be, get around, don't they, no matter yeah. where the fucking hell you are, you're going to bump into a scout. But the thing in this life is, no matter where you go in the world, you'll meet some fucker from your past. Yeah, yeah. Or from your hometown. You know, it's happened to me on many, many occasions. And... In the early days, I did see those who'd done damage to me. Yeah. 
And it's just the fright because you're not going to be believed anyway. You know, you can go and fill someone in who's assaulted you sexually and done things. But if they're a civil servant or a care worker, when it comes to court, who are they going to believe? They ain't going to believe me. Well, nowadays things have changed a lot, haven't they? Have they? Well, just for the simple fact they have, like, I mean, you see a lot of the care workers, for instance, now are in the news a lot. You don't see the old bill being taken to court for no, the Ross Bay girls. No, but they have, they'll have like nanny cameras now, or cameras and that. Oh, yeah. Watching out. But they lose them. Yeah, they didn't have that back you know, in the old days. Oh, we didn't have it switched on. <laughs> yeah. You know, who's kidding you? The corruption is rife where children are concerned. Absolutely rife. And when I say children, I'm talking about young girls as well. Grooming. Yeah, it's rife. And the police are so involved in it. Oh, they deny it. They can't inquire themselves, can they? We had Maggie Oliver on here, who was a policewoman, yeah. and she was exposing it. But she went up against a lot of trouble in the police to do that. Yeah, John Wage is another one. Hey, Iraqis were just shushing her, you telling know. her it's not happening. Yeah, they do. It's like, it's obviously it's fucking happening, you know what I mean? It's like fucking Asian and fucking Pakistani fucking gangs are fucking... Not just them, I'm not being racial, but majority, that's who it is. That's what, what I mean? we're exposed in Rochdale, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's rotten with it. So I've got a couple of quick questions before we proceed with this, the, the other ones from the viewers. Um, say, you, you, seem, you said to me in the previous podcast you're the happiest you've ever been in your life. Yeah, I am. If you saw one of your abusers today, what would that do to you would, would you just be able to go up to that person and say I forgive you no or would you just walk away would you want to kill the person within that whole spectrum how would you feel I don't know I don't want to be violent I've been violent in my time I don't want to be violent but I would probably ask them why right I, I've learned that the penny's mightier than the sword I think if you confronted them now, and the mouth, you'd wind yourself up. Than the pen, I can be very, very scathing, and very good at humiliating people and making them look small and feel small. And if I saw one today, and he was with his granddaughter, daughter, son, I would have no problem whatsoever. In letting them know exactly how I felt. And I'd ask them why they'd done it. Have you named and shamed them? In front. Some, yeah. Ted Heath, ex-Prime Minister. Oh, fuck's sake. He wasn't Prime Minister then. He was... I didn't know who he was. He was just one of thousands. You know, he didn't shag me. He was just a blowjob. You know what I mean? I Still fucking hell. a crown for it. If I didn't do it, I'd have got battered. So, you know... I don't do pain. Is he the, the, the big fat one? Yeah. He's well, that, Cyril Smith was the, oh, big, Cyril the Smith. Big, biggest one, but Heath was quite big. But Mike was in Piccadilly, London, and they had a thing called the meat rack, and that was where they sold, the co-homes sold the kids to customers. That's fucking disgusting, man. If you think of a cartoon market, you know, where they sell the slaves. Yeah. Well, this is where they sold boys. 
and where boys sold themselves as well. Hence his book is called The Meat Rack Boy. I could understand that if he... If the lad wants to do it himself and fucking make a few quid, well, that's on him. But to be sold is a different fucking thing entirely. But we had no choice. We had no choice, right? What what do you got to remember, right? This is post-war Britain. Yeah. Right, the 50s. I keep on forgetting how old you're there. Right. And I know I look good, don't I? You do look (laughs) fucking good. good. In 70, you look fucking brilliant. And, um... (sighs) Parents were missing, you know, either in action or just taken off, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so kids were to a penny and the homes were full of them who had nobody. I had nobody. Like fucking Oliver Twist days, isn't it? You know. Oh, yeah, just, yeah. Yeah, instead of, it wasn't Instead of Fabian, it was fucking some gay bastard fucking... Yeah, but these gay bastards, as you call them, I don't think they were gay. These were married men, for God's sake, the bulk of them. High-up people. For them, it it was a different attraction. It was... I don't suppose it was any different from them going to the bloody opera, if the truth be known. It was just something you couldn't have. It was an excitement for them. Yeah, forbidden fruit. Yeah. Yeah, you've got it right, forbidden fruit. Yeah. You know, and um, it was a weird. I, I say now it was a weird. It, it, it was something that you you just cannot see happening in a modern age, but it does. If that happens to you as a child, though, it must be very, very hard for you to fucking trust people. I don't trust anyone. Georgie. Without doubt, George. Yeah. If it hadn't been for George, the book wouldn't have been written. I wouldn't be here today. You know, I trust her implicitly. And people say, like, oh, well. But it's not all oh, well. Nothing if people have fucking done that to you. I, I don't, don't have any male friends as such. No. You know, close male friends. Although, to be fair, I've got a copper friend who I call Plod, Right. <laughs> And his missus, Plaudette. And they were instrumental in me going to the police. Because I'd been to the police many times. Yeah. And the police said, oh, bollocks, go away halfway. You know what I mean? But Plaudette said to me, here's a phone number, ring this chap and talk to him. And I did. And he said, come and see me. So I did. In Blackpool Police Station. And I said... I told him my story and I said, listen to me, you. This is after I'd started. I said, before I go right into the mucky details, am I wasting my time here? Do you believe what I'm saying? And he said, yeah, he said, I do, actually. And he passed it on to the Metropolitan Police Child Abuse Place in Barnet. And it, I... Two police officers came up from Barnet to my home. <laughs> I went, they took me. Well, I drove myself, me and Sick, Sickno went. Mm. And um, to the rape centre. Fucking rape centre, if you please. In Lytham St Anne's. It's a rape suite where they take girls. 
who have been raped. Raped. And they might as well have taken me to a public kazi yeah. because it was so unwelcoming. On the table like you see here, you'd expect a box of tissues. There was a shit roll, a, to- a roll of toilet paper. That's just cheap and nasty, right? isn't it, really? The coffee facilities, nothing worked. The video stuff, nothing worked. So we went old bollocks off, um, went back home. They came to my house and recorded a three-hour session in my house, two coppers. Yeah. One was called, the DC was called Carl Savage. And I named names. I've got a copy of the tapes at home, mm-hmm. right? My biographer's got them. He's working from them. And three weeks after I'd had the interview done, I got an email from Carl Savage saying, there is no case, perpetrator's dead, nothing can be done, end. Right? I've got a copy of this. And I rang him up. Why did you tuck it under the fucking carpet? I rang him up. And I said, perpetrator's dead, no case. He said, yeah. He said, that's what the hierarchy say. You've rattled some and upstairs, haven't you? You've rattled the above. I just said to him over the phone, I said, well, fuck you. Yeah. I said, Jimmy Savile's dead. Ted Heath is dead. Cyril Smith is dead. Yet you're all looking into these people. Mm-hmm. I said, why not look into my case? And I never got an answer from him and I rang them back and I said I want a copy of the interview and I was told and again I've got it in it on an email that they couldn't give me one so I asked the question why not you didn't say I said in law I'm entitled to a copy of the statement Mm -hmm. that I gave you And eventually they sent me a CD copy, encrypted, so it couldn't be opened. Fucking assholes. Yeah, and I got a friend of mine who is very handy with a computer who opened it. Ah. So I have a copy of the interview. Yep. And we made a spare copy of it as well. But the police... They're not interested in the likes of me. If you've been a scroat, as I was, you you find that, nah, the law doesn't want to know you. Once you've been branded a liar, the rest of your life you are lying, as far as the hierarchy are concerned. They're almost as bad as being trolled. It's like sort of, yeah, I was going to say something. You know, they don't care. No. Why should they care? You know, as far as they're concerned. They don't it's like when you, 50, you get arrested for a burglary, right? An old plot will come in and go, give you a fag, here are some. But we want to put a load of old charges on top. Yeah, just plea them out so we can clean our right? books. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what they do. Yeah. And the police force is as corrupt today as it ever was. 
but it's upstairs that it's corrupt. It's not the plot on the street. They, they tell you you won't get extra time for that and all that. They don't tell you that it's on your criminal so, fucking record. You yeah, know what I mean? Taken into yeah. consideration, they call it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. a joke, but. Yeah, it's the answer to the question. They've been doing that for a very yeah, long I time, haven't they? Many, many times. But as time goes on, I don't feel any pain now from what happened. No. I don't feel any anger now. I just find it, you know... Sad. Distressing. Must, must make you feel empty, though. Oh, from... Worthless. Worse than worthless. I wasn't in the gutter. I was yeah. in the fucking drain. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, now I'm on the fucking pavement. Standing you know? high. Because of Georgie. Yeah. Because she was the first one who I really opened up to, right, who encouraged me and said, look, you know, you want to tell your story, tell your story. When I said to her one day, I said, George, I want to buy a Bentley. She said, go and buy one. So I did. All right, not a new one, an old one. Still new to you. You know what I mean? I went to Scotland and bought it. Yeah. And ponced about with it. Couldn't afford to run it. <laughs> but we had it. You know, I'd, I'd so achieved an ambition. You achieved the goal. When I, and I said to her, I want to be a DJ. And she will be a DJ. So I did. I was the uh, worst yeah. DJ ever, believe me. Oh, I don't know. There's <laughs> some out there. I was Gary so... Gary Ranicello. No, no. I was so bad... That I couldn't charge the punters. <laughs> That's how bad I was. <laughs> you ain't been all right at Christians and weddings. But... You know they're really bad then. Well, I would only do 60s and 70s stuff. Oh, all right, all right. But I also was of the opinion, if they ain't paying for my services, they've got no right of complaint. No, so you can do what the fuck you want. So I could no, do I mean. what I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I'd done. And I had... It was fantastic period. For all you fucking paedophiles out there, you'll get yours in the end. Not everyone's going to be as nice as this man here. You will. You'll die. You'll die a horrible fucking death, you horrible bastards. It's a different world, isn't it, now? Yeah. It's a different world to my world. But do I feel any anger? It's subsiding, let's put it like that. Well, that's good. It's subsiding. So you mentioned there's not many people you've trusted in your life... We have Captain John Campbell. You've got the nun who looked out for you and prayed for you every day. You've got Georgie now. Are there any other people that you've not mentioned? It's like you have these guardian angels. As horrific as some people have done things, it's like you've got these guardian angels that have come into your life. Were there any other guardian angels? It's kind of hard to say because... um One who I do trust, and he's the biggest arse of them all, is Sitno. <laughs> he's the biggest arse. He fucking sat right next door. <laughs> but he is. But he's so staunch yeah. that you wouldn't believe where I'm concerned. You know, this is the guy, when, when I had the stroke, and I was a mess, you know, but he drove Georgie every single day to the hospital and home 
if Georgie needed to go shopping, he was there, you know. And when I'm at home now, because I don't get out because of the stroke, because I can't walk. Yeah. You know, I'm wheelchair-bound. Although I did get up the stairs to get in here. But, yeah, I'll sit, though. Tosser that he is. He's my tosser. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I love that. And he's there every time I need him. He is there. You can rely on him. Oh, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> but, yeah, he, 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 I would actually. He, he's there and I thank him for that. Yeah. I don't tell him that, you know what I mean, because you get big-headed. He'll know now. But um, <laughs> when he sees this, he might. Yeah. But unless you edit it out. No, he's aired out there. <laughs> he can't hear this. Yeah, he can. But, um, oh, God. <laughs> That's going to be a horrible journey on the way. Yeah. His head's going to be but that big driving. He, he is. He's as staunch as they come, you know. And along the way, the last five years, when he had the pub and I was DJing in the pub, he used to, he never paid me. No. No. Get a few free paints, though. Yeah, I was on the wine then. Oh. You know, but so was he. Yeah. But we used to have good times. He, he used to come up to, this is the first year in five years, six years, that he didn't come for Christmas dinner. But that's because we didn't have a Christmas dinner, me and George. It was just me and her. Christmas yeah. dinner for us was cheese on toast. And no wrong in that, though. And that's the what tea was sardines on toast. And that is exactly what we wanted. Yeah. If that's you what know. you want, that's what you'd have. And, um, if you want a takeout, get a takeout. It, it was fantastic. Oh, we don't need takeouts. I'm a tight kid. And it, it was fantastic, but, yeah, he's as staunch as they come, and I trust him implicitly. Yeah. And he knows my story, and he doesn't dwell on it or any of that shite, you know, which I like. Yeah. You know, because I sometimes I do get a bit pissed off. that This meat rack boy and the podcast, Sean's podcast, the first one, and James English, has frightened me, truly, truly frightened me because I didn't expect... A quarter of a million people know who Mike Tarragher is, Meat Rat Boy. Yeah. But a quarter of a million people do not know the real Mike Tarragher. Does that make sense? They only know what you told them. And, um, yeah. And, um, and what they assume. I honestly never ever thought that over 100, I think it's 130,000 have seen the first podcast. In less than a month, yeah. In, in less than a month. It's amazing. Did you think Wembley only holds 50,000? <coughs> so it's nearly three times Wembley have actually and followed you. I think it's 60,000 on James English's one. Yeah. Right, Anna Breeze is another one. You know, who got a few. And I didn't realise what a can of worms I was opening. I didn't... I get thousands. Well, if you've been so brutally honest and telling as it is, no doubt you've brought other people out to do the same thing. Once I craved fame and fortune, I make no bones about that. When I first wrote The Uncouth Lout, which was the... Pre-runner to um, 
Meet Rat Boy. It was done as a statement for Lambeth. What was it called? Mm. The uncouth, uncouth Lout? The Successful Failure. The Life of an Uncouth Lout. Sister Helen called me an uncouth lout when she had me removed from the convent. Yeah. And that stuck with me. And um, I like that word, uncouth. Yeah. <coughs> I've got a pal in Fleetwood, I call him uncouth. And he's a scouser, as it happens. And um, that was done as a tester mm. and as a statement. It cost me four grand to get it printed, right? And I thought, I'm not going to sell this. It wasn't published as a book. I thought, if people want it, I'll ask for donations for a charity. Yeah. Which raised 600 quid. So four grand to print a book. Yeah, but it's not a point. To raise 600 quid is not a good thing. No, but but you didn't do it for the business. You did it because you've achieved something. You know, I could have given the charity four grand and said, fuck all. Yeah. But... The charity got 600 quid, which they wouldn't have got otherwise. Exactly. Right? And the best part of a 1,000 people got to read about my life because they knew me in Fleetwood as a bloody idiot DJ, the clown who dresses up, who makes a complete and utter fool of himself, right? And I'd got respect and I wanted to see if that respect was going to hold. Well, no doubt after these podcasts, you'll get a and lot more of your books. You'll get hold. your four grand's worth. <laughs> it did hold. And um, I then, with the aid of Anna Breeze, and we got our meat rack boy, and yeah. people said to me, it went on to Amazon. What are you doing with the money? I've never seen the money, the penny. I couldn't tell you how many it sold, right? Mm-hmm. Now, a woman, well, I don't know if she is a woman, actually. She certainly don't look like one. And she says she's kind of intersex, whatever that is. Androgyny. Yeah, androgyny. We've had androgyny in here. We interviewed androgyny because she was doing videos that were, let's just say, constructive critical of me, John Wedger, and other podcast guests. Well, what she said about me wasn't constructive critical at all. It was downright bullshit. (laughs) This is a woman she put out on Twitter. She said, now let's look at me... Meat rat boy, where the money went. <laughs> One third went to George, my partner. Yeah. Who, in case you're wondering, is a bird, not a geezer. Yeah. Right? George. Oh, you can sell that. Right? Yeah, she got the bumps in the right place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and not that I'm looking. <laughs> she said one third went to Anna Breeze and one third went to a charity. And I thought... You fucking ugly fuckwit. You haven't got a clue because Georgie didn't have a bean. Yeah. Not one penny. Right? Did you keep anything for yourself, don't know? Nothing. Nothing. I didn't want it. The money we'd decided right from the beginning, if this bloody book sold, it was going to be used to help others because... I had never, ever seen a book 
that was as so open as my book was. Mm-hmm. I'd never, ever heard of anybody come straight out and say I was shagged up the arse as a kid and sold, right? A boy. You read about girls, yeah, you, you know, do. in the medieval countries, you know, the sex slaves, but boys? No, you've only ever seen it on the carry-on films with the little black boy doing the fan and getting rumped by Kenneth Williams or whatever. Well, that's, you know? that's meant as joke, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, I'm, well, I knew that I wasn't the only one. I love to carry on films, do you? And um, I prefer football. Yeah. And um, Who's your team? Chelsea. Oh, Jesus. And I said to Georgie, I don't want any of this money. We could have done with it. I'm, I'm a pensioner. I live on a state pension, yeah. you know. And I said, I don't want this money. And I said to Anna Breeze, I said, we had a chat. Is that your publisher? Um, I don't know if publisher is the right word. Publicist. Yeah. Is a better word. I said, Anna, she's an ex-BBC reporter who does, I don't, not podcasts as such, but she does interviews and she teaches people how to use a mobile camera to do an interview. She helps abuse victims. Right. We interviewed her on this channel. If you want to watch that, I'll put it in the description box below this video. And I said to Anna, use the money to get people to tell their stories. And we set up courses, or she set up courses. And the first one we held in Fleetwood, and we got two of the people who I'll name because they wouldn't mind, Jane Cruikshank, mm-hmm. who was raped at work and lost her job, lost everything over it, and came damn close to losing her family the lot, Right? but won her case in a kind of way. And Sam Baldwin, who lost her kids to the courts, right? That must be horrible. We'd done the first one, and it was a success. And Meat Rack Boy paid for the hotel, the accommodation, the food, the lot, everything, right? So those who participated only had to pay for their own transport down. Yeah. And she's done a few more. I went to that one, fleetingly, popped in and out, and, you know, and that's the only one because I don't want thanks from people. I don't want them coming up to me and going, oh, thank you, Michael, this is wonderful what you're doing. I already bloody well know that. You know, I think and, that uh, I'm all for charity, and but I also I do believe charity begins at home too. I mean, if I could get money for doing something, I wouldn't be struggling just on a pension. I'd be getting some of the money that I mean, it's, it's your life, it's your. We've story. got everything, Georgie and I have everything we want, right, or that we need. Yeah, we don't go out, we don't live a luxurious lifestyle. But we have each other. We have no debt to anywhere. Fair enough. Right, Fair apart enough. from my credit card. No, I think 800 quid, which will be cleared this month because I clear it off yeah. as I put it up. And um, we don't need. But I'm going to say this. I'm writing 
my full autobiography. Yeah. Now, I couldn't afford to write it and publish it and print it. I couldn't afford to do that. So I set up a crowdfunding. Yeah. Which, for 12 grand, because I reckoned 12 grand would pay for a very, very good ghostwriter, right? The guy who done a successful failure. I don't know where you get your prices from, but it could cost up to anything, couldn't it? You don't... Well, I worked it out because I, I looked at adverts, a ghostwriter, £75, pound, 1,000 words, right? My book's going to be 100,000 words, so there's seven and a half oh, grand. grand, yeah. Right? And then the printing, I can tell you for a fact that... The successful failure, the life of an uncouth lout, cost three and a half quid a copy to print. Right? So there was three and a half grand before you started there. You should send the message out to these, and the, the, your audience here and get one of these students so who are into it. I'd done crowdfunding, which has started. I got pilloried for a little while for doing it, but that's kind of settled down and people are donating. I printed T-shirts off. Yeah, I've got T-shirts. And I printed these. I paid for these, printed them off, and are selling them. The money goes into the crowdfunding. There it is. And... Oh, look at your picture on the back there. You look like Oscar Wilde. And uh, thank you. He was gay, if you don't mind. (laughs) And um, don't like him, though. I'm hoping that through that, we can raise the funds, because this book... I don't want it to be a book that people buy for a long journey, skip reading it or read down the middle, yeah. speed read it, and then belt and fling it in a bin. I, it's going to be a book where... How many pages? Depends how many. 100,000 words. words is um, just over 300 pages. Yeah, three to something around that mark. Yeah. be that thick, right? And where they... Th- think, this guy's talking to me. I'm not reading flat words on a flat page. He's talking to me. He's telling his story. Yeah. And it's going to, there is going to be the childhood, the abuse, but I'll open it up and I'll tell people, I will describe what went on and what I felt. There'll be the lunatic years where I was in and out of jail, there'll be humour in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a Rolls Royce, but it was a stolen fucker. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> buy it, I stole it. You know, and I had some fun. Yeah. A lot of fun. And the last part is going to be from the shrink factory to the present day with Georgie mm-hmm. and where we've gone and where we've led to. And if it sells... Any money from that will go into a trust so that when I become a Norwegian blue, she will be looked after. Yeah. And in case you don't know what a Norwegian blue is, it's the dead parrot. Is it? Hanging upside down, yeah. Watch Monty Python, old boy. <laughs> you know, when I die, when I snuff it. Let me, uh. let me just say to people watching this, Links for your crowdfunding will be put in the description box below this video if you want to donate to this new project that Mike has embarked on. 
Also, what you're saying here ties in with the next question about your dreams and goals. Let me, let me just read you this before you continue. Um, you stated that you are proud of yourself several times, and you should be. You survived a childhood that is incomparable to most of us. You were failed by almost everyone that should have cared for you. You weathered the storms, and you came out on the other side as a caring and loving soul. You found your Georgie that you described as your joy, your soulmate, every beat of your heart. Those things make you rich beyond compare. I wish the best for you and your sweetheart and that your health remains stable long enough for you to accomplish other things that are in your dreams. So what are the things in your dreams that you want to accomplish? The book? Yep. That will be finished. That will be out late May. Are you married? Married. Marriage is an institution that belongs in an institution. So you don't live in marriage? No, we're not legally married. I've been married four times. Yeah. You don't get tax rebates anymore. But. (laughs) (laughs) It's the first time (laughs) I've been in love. I've been married four times. Yeah. It's the first time that I've been in love. Truly, truly in love. When I used to go to sleep at night alongside Georgie, it was like a tug berthing alongside a luxury yacht. Yeah. That's how I equated it. You were the tugboat? Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was the roughy-tuffy tugboat. She's the beautiful yacht. Yeah. And I used to look at her and I used to smile and go, thank fuck I'm here. And in the morning and through the night, I used to wake up. I don't sleep well. I I used to wake up and look down on her and just feel the peace that envelopes the pair of us. Yeah. You know, and in the morning, I used to look at her and go, I wish you'd fucking wake up and make a cup of tea. (laughs) (laughs) But... But your serenity. You, I you feel, like yeah, she is, oh, she's, yeah, she's it. Put a she, ring on a finger. No, I don't want to. So you've got your book goal. You've accomplished yeah. your love goal. Are there any other goals? Yeah, Chelsea to win a Champions League before I snuff it. That ain't going to fucking happen. But, <laughs> no, I, I think that's, that's all you need in this life. You need simple yeah, no. goals, yeah. Because the grasping for other things, it wears you out, doesn't it? It kills you. It Atta- kills you. Attachment, attachment. You know? If I, you keep them simple and achievable. I've um, had two strokes. Yeah. And I'm absolutely certain that it was down to stress. I've had one over drugs. You know what I mean? And um, Georgie's my drug. Yeah. She well, actually, to be fair, my mum was a stroke. I don't know what they called it, but it was a... Um, TIA. It was literally, I was, I was smoking that much meth and drugs that I was sat in my mate's van, and next to me, my face just sort of went like this. And it went all saggy, 
It was like that for about a couple of weeks, wasn't One it? One side of his face wasn't moved. Oh, that's um, Bell's palsy. Bell's palsy, yeah. So he had his drug pipe out this side <laughs> and his m- m- non-moving face out this side. He's like, look at me now. People thought I was scary. <laughs> Sean thought it was funny he decided to go, oh, let's, let's go and eat a meal. So I'm trying to eat, but it's like wobbling like this. <laughs> In answer to that person's question, I've achieved... My ambition. That's why you're happy. I, I've found peace. Yeah. And you can't have any. You can't buy that. Better. No. no, you can't. You, you can't, can't buy that. And if everyone aspired to having peace, it'd be a very, very rich country. I'm the same, actually. I've just, you know, I don't want money. We don't go on holiday. I've done my gallivanting around the world. I've had doses from every part of the world, you know what I mean? Exotic birds, exotic diseases and all that shit. And I am more at peace now than I've ever been. It's as simple as that. You know, and I'm quite happy to sit at home with my feet up. Yeah. Doing nothing. Georgia and I are on the same wavelength. She knows what I want and when I want it. And I know what she wants. You know, no, I'm not going to give it her anyway because I can't. But she knows it. Mm -hmm. Something else that's non-monetary is the effect you're having on people who are watching your story. And this ties into the next question because there's a lot of people out there who have been through things that have watched you and have contacted both of us. I'm just going to read you one of them. This is from Brooke Fedlin. Thank Mike from me for sharing his courage to share has helped me find mine i survived deep state trafficking and elite pedos i'm scared to tell but he's given me courage god bless him does he have any advice for us that have gone through the same as him for our healing funny you should say that because there's a little girl a young lady who has just started to tell her story. And she said, what can I do? And I said, listen, and I'll say this to every single person who suffers abuse. It doesn't matter what abuse it is, be it sexual, physical, mental. Talk about it. And talk louder. And talk louder, because one day someone will hear you. The louder you talk, the more you will be heard. And if people are hearing you, they're listening. It might go through one, out the other, so talk louder. Because one day someone will hear you, and they will listen to you. And they will start the motions to help you. But the mere fact that you can talk about it, for me it was writing a book. Yeah. There's no way that I could go and say to, say, you in a pub, hey, listen to me, old man, old chap, I've been shagged, you know, because you'd have laughed or I would have felt you would have laughed, you know, and told me to get a grip as the filth did, get a grip, you know. 
As a child, they told me I was in discipline and sent me back to have some more of it. You know, as a four-year-old, well, six-year-old at the time when I ran away to the police station. And, but, talk about it. And it doesn't matter whether you go into a church, although I believe in my art, and I'll explain why, the church is a hotbed of it. Well, I, An I, absolute, I and I don't care what church it is, right? My first I'd say wife, there's more priests and vicars doing it. Well, it's not just priests and vicars. My first wife is a very senior nurse nowadays. Right? Yeah. In the north of England. I met and married her within four weeks. Don't ask me why. I've been airlifted off a ship with an infection and um, I saw her. I thought this glamorous girl married her. Mm-hmm. Right? Her family absolutely hated me. With a... Oh. They didn't think you were a lovable rogue, no. They didn't think I was fit worthy. for purpose. Yeah, yeah worthy. The, her father was a guy who said to me, don't smoke in the house. Fair enough. If you don't smoke, I'm you in your house, that. I'm not going to smoke. Right? But in my house, I'm going to smoke. This was a fellow who, for Christmas, gave me a spade. And I had to ask him where the fucking motor was for this bloody spade. I don't do gardening, do I look like a gardener? Give me a fucking spade. Is he a garden to... spade. Is he trying to tell you something? Right. <laughs> and this was the same bloke who, when I smoked in, in his garden, said, would, you, would I mind going on the road because the tobacco would taint his fucking roses? Well, do you want a can? His, go on then. His daughter... Who I married, thank you, had had a child. I knew that. I knew that she'd had a child. But what they neglected to tell me was that the child was her brother's. The brother had been shagging the girl from the age of 12. Right? He was 18. Yeah. He's an architect, this clown. Right? Or an accountant, chartered account, charge surveyor, whatever. Right? But then. Let me shame him. No, because I'm not going to ruin her life. Okay. Right? She knows who she is. We'll you know who you are, you scummy fuck here. We'll call her Helen. Yeah. Right? When I discovered this, the grandfather had caught them in bed together. They had the grandfather put into a home. The parents. To hide it all These the way. bastards built a church in a place called oh. Martlesham, which still stands today, Abbey Clapper's Church. Yeah. Right? And I rang up the father one day and I said, why didn't you call the police? Oh, he's come to the Lord. I went, you what? He's given his life to Jesus Christ. This is what I was told, right? And I agonised, believe you me. Do I go to the police on this one? The child was adopted immediately. The mother was a senior nurse at a hospital in Ipswich who told me that she didn't know her own daughter was pregnant 
until the fucking child was being born on the bathroom floor. Not having that. If you're the right? fucking nurse, you know, do you? And that is why I don't believe in the church and I don't talk to God. I don't believe in God. You know, either, I wouldn't want to ruin her life. Each to their own, but... I suppose, but I don't believe in God personally, you know. There's no miracles happening anytime soon. That ain't bad. It's the first alcoholic drink I've had in three years. Is it? Is it alcohol? Yeah, it's um, desperados. It's like it, it's a... Uh... God, I'll be... It's like you're down the stairs. Oh, Jesus. With, uh, with tequila. Lovely. Beer and tequila. Yeah, beer and tequila. Right. In answer to... It looks like a weed plant, doesn't it? But it's it not does, Garvey. Yeah. To that lassie's question, I assume it's a lassie, is you have to talk. If you don't talk, that'll eat you up. I was thinking, like, below these videos, putting a link to an organisation, perhaps. I don't know if there is an organisation. I was going to ask you, well, are people that are going through things and they've got no-one to talk to if, they, if there's an organisation they can contact? I don't contact. know if there is. I, I get phone calls. In the middle of the night from all over the world. Yeah. You know, video calls. And the stories I hear, and they're going, oh, Mike, you are so brave, you're an inspiration. No, I'm not. Let's get something bloody well straight. I am not brave. Make your own organisation. Don't profess to be People are reaching out to you. Right. I'm not an inspiration. I wouldn't want anybody to inspire to the life I led. No, I'm inspired right? by, by you, honestly. And I am certainly not a leader, you know. And my story, I felt, had to be told for my own sanity. It had led me to a lunatic asylum. If right? you kept it to yourself. But it also led me to Georgie. Yeah. And Georgie was the saviour. I wish there was... Um, an organisation where people can talk. There's got to be one out there. You know? Well, we'll find one. We'll find one. I, I really wish there was. But don't forget, at the end of these anonymous phone lines are the fuckwits who are getting their rocks off by the very stories mm. they're hearing. Exactly, exactly. You know, it's not Alcoholics Anonymous. And I think personally, I mean, I haven't been through it and I wouldn't, but my view is that women can talk more freely because it's more like what women do. Well, with the best, you know, respect and will in the world, who the bloody hell would want to give you one? You're not <laughs> the prettiest peach eyed. I can't imagine. Fucking hell, I just got knocked back. <laughs> you can't worry about it. I couldn't help that. Well, like... you're better than everything. <laughs> Three years sober. This is what you get. <laughs> Sorry about that, but. Oh, third play, I had it coming. My life today is, I rip the piss. If you can find a laugh out of hey, adversity... If you can get a laugh out of it, do it. Not a real. You can't go wrong. And, you know, that, that's how I look at it today. Thanks. Less, less muscles to smile than it does to frown. To be, you know, serious, these people have to talk. Yeah. And they've got to talk to someone they can trust. Well, to keep it in, it's going to eat you, isn't it? And I don't know why it is. But people are trusting me, who I've never met. It's because you're brutal honest and, and you've um, come out. I do. I talk to as many as I can. Yeah. Or I listen to as many as I can. You know, and I, I tell them, I put on Facebook quite often, I can't speak to everyone. Yeah. 
The volume of messages is so huge. It frightens me. But I'm also beginning to realise that this is far, far more widespread than anything I could have ever, ever You've opened up a huge, huge, huge oh, massive, can of worms. Massive. It's frightening. It truly frightens me. You know, and it, it frightens me that... Why don't you start your own organisation? It's going to take over my life again. And you better have I would neglect George, and I yeah. don't want that. No, you better have one like that. She'd help you advocate it, but she wouldn't, yeah. I, I just do not want to. Georgie's my life, you know. Yeah. She's not well. And this is as overwhelming for her as it is for me. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking at first, start your own while people are reaching out to you. No. But you don't really want to be going on about it every night, do you? I don't you want don't want to. I don't want to spend Sometimes my Sometimes where you want to turn around and just like, you know, yeah. not forget about it, but just don't I'll, have it at the front of your head. I'll always talk to someone who rings me up. Yeah. And says, look, can I talk? Of course I will. You know, anytime, 24-7, I don't care. You know, I'll find time to talk to them. And if someone can talk and then... Go to sleep knowing that they've got it out. Yeah. I wouldn't imagine you've got many trolls. No. I've got trolls all over the place. Oh, I have hate two me. or three. Have you? Yeah. How could anyone fucking say a bad word about you? They're arses. Fucking dicks. You know, know what I mean? Just, if they've got... But then again... <laughs> while they're talking about me... They're not talking about someone who'll be hurt and offended by their rotten remarks. Because it goes in one and out the other with me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I don't. I really don't care. Android me. Android <laughs> said that I was making hundreds of thousands a month, hundreds of thousands of pounds a month off my Patreon account. Yeah. Fair play to her. <laughs> oh, yeah. Take take away um, a couple of zeros uh, that I was making. My Patreon brings in about 500 a month. You don't have to just say it's your richness, lad. <laughs> you don't have to just say it. Just because you dress in Hugo Boss. It's covering It's covering two podcasts a month right now. I really thank you all the people who've donated on Patreon. And the link is in the description box below this video because YouTube has done something really nasty in the last week. I figured out a way to re-monetize a lot of the videos through the appeal process. But now, the, the appeal used to take a day or two, but now the appeal is going on for over a week. And the, by the time the videos are up, they're out of date already. So I'm getting really screwed again by them. Um, but going, going back to your story, so you said that it's everywhere. Yeah. And through just doing these podcasts, interviewing guests, interviewing experts in the field i'm realizing i've realized it's everywhere as well yeah i mean we had one guy on and it, it was such a heartbreaking story too um he went to his best friend's house when he was a kid the kid wasn't home his dad says come in and the dad raped him yeah and then he tried to when he got older he, he went back to the house tried to kill that guy got put in prison for it they got released went straight to the house tried to kill him again got put back in prison got released 
on and on and on it went. And eventually, he exploded. He was he was so mentally unwell. He tried to stab his friend because he, he couldn't get that out of his system. And if anyone wants to watch that podcast, it's called "Sentenced to Ninety Nine Years in Prison." And I'll put it in the description box below this video. Do you realise you got the same pants on? Yeah, they've got a nice little stripe on them, haven't they? Yeah. Very smart. The last time I wore stripes was in jail. Was it? <laughs> so, but, so, sorry. So, so to get that angry at what had happened, he stabbed his own best friend. Can you understand the thought processes With going me, on? it was attempting suicide. Right. And I've attempted it in every single way. Obviously... Someone somewhere was looking after me. I mean, I'm the bloody idiot who tried to hang himself without realising that the rope had to be short enough for you to drop. <laughs> I should laugh. My, my feet were still on the ground, stoned out my brain. My feet were on the deck, and all I was doing, and I thought, if I go round and round in a fucking circle with this rope stuff. down my head, that'll hang me. Only it didn't. I see the guy do it, I see the guy hang himself, and, and the rope was too long. But he actually lifted his legs up and just, like, he hung himself on the, on the end of his bunk and he, he, he tied a bed sheet round him. And, but he lifted his legs up to where uh, he was dangling. But, I mean, the rope was. If he, had just, if he hadn't lifted his legs up, he'd have just been on the ground looking like that with the rope. Yeah, I'd done that. You know, and I've taken... Was that a cry for sympathy or were you going to actually want to kill yourself? You get a lot of people who... Who knows, I was stoned. You get a lot of people who cut themselves, but they go like that. If you really want to cut yourself, you go in that way for your... Yeah, well, I don't cut myself. I I don't do pain. No. The times when I was at sea that I walked down to the arse end of the ship and thought, shall I go over the side? And the only thing that stopped me was the fucking cold water. Yeah. I thought, I don't want to be cold before I snuff it. Yet the time when I did go over the arse end, an accident at, at sea, yeah. when I, every right to die, March the 7th, 2007, when I saw and met the spinning propeller on a big ship, I didn't die. Why did they have a guard on it or something? Well, it, no, it didn't have a guard on, but the wash threw me back. That's just fucking luck, that. Wow. Pure luck. Wow. I lost my spleen, and um, but I thought, there has to be a reason. There has to be a reason for this. I didn't know what it was, because I said to you, I don't talk to God. I always think to myself that... People who try and take their lives are just selfish because they just think of themselves, they don't They're think brave. of the family. But I, I, I changed my mind because thinking about it now, you must be under a lot, a lot of pressure for you to fucking do something like that. They're desperate, you know. It's, it's all right for me to judge saying, oh, you just selfish get you. What about what, how your family and everything think? But it's exactly the same as going to prison, isn't it? You don't, you can always think like that as well. But you'd have to be at a certain fucking place for you to want to do that. And if if someone had buggered me and raped me, I'd probably be fucking wanting suicide or something myself, more than likely. As a child, you don't think of that. You don't. 
No. It had got... It came to a stage very, very quickly. Or murder, more Where it likely. became the norm as a small kid. It that should part, be... That's fucking horrible. It was part of growing up, you know? That's what I believed. You, you, you don't realise that these people are perpetrating a crime against you. You don't know you didn't know body. that they were doing wrong. You didn't no, know that, that was wrong. Age, what was no, it four? four? Age four. Age four. Imagine Fuck's age four. Sake, so it's that's not that's all you think the world is then. You, you think feel that's normal? The first time that it happened I, was a huge pain. Literally, yeah. <laughs> you know you're a baby, aren't you? But I didn't realise what that pain was. God, I'd want to kill him. You know, and um, you don't. And I know it sounds stupid, but you don't realise. And as time goes on, by the time you're ten, it's the normal thing. You know? Do you think, in your head, do you think it's a punishment or just normal? No, the punishments were getting beaten. For not doing it? Yeah. The punishment at the woods was having to go into the kitchen and get the big fuck-off wooden spoon that they were going to beat me with. That was punishment. So you had to, you had to walk and get the old spoon? Why didn't you to... tell me to go and get it? Kerr Holmes back then. Fucking hell. You know, and... Evil bastards. It's only as you get older and you think, hold on. But by then, I was so far gone, I was already stealing from people, you know, and... Um, well, you're not going to live a normal fucking life because you're not being treated as a normal child. But I didn't live child. a normal life. Yeah. As a teenager, as, as an adult, I didn't leave... I didn't trust. I'd hate the fucking world. I, oh, I hated the world and myself and everything in it. Yeah. And I was going to do... I'd rebel. ...my utmost. I would steal thousands of pounds, you know, by fraud or whatever, but I didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. I had no plans. It was almost... The stealing was almost a plea for help. You know, the, the help never came. Because you didn't get caught at first, that's why. The bulk of the times I used to give myself in. Fucking <laughs> hell. You're crying, you're crying for you, help. You're screaming you? for help. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. But when you see the shrink, I mean, one shrink, when I was 11, right, I've got this in the records, Gave me an IQ at 11 years old of 114, which is very high. Yeah. Right? But another string at eight years old says this boy is sexually active. What? How the fucking hell can you be... I wasn't going around shagging. You've been raped. You're not sexually I was active, being... are you? Yeah, raped is the right word. Yeah. Only I didn't know it was rape. Yeah. You know, and, and I get really frustrated at this because here you have the very people who should be helping you are 
not only abusing you, but they're telling you it's your fault. It's crazy. Play mind games. And um, when I when I became a, a teenager, and I was going in and out of jail. Everything, when I came out, when I went to sea, everything I wanted to achieve mm -hmm. was being thwarted because of the way I was acting. But you only acted like that because you were angry within yourself of what oh, yeah. happened to you. I was, I was a very angry young person. Who fucking wouldn't be? I was a very angry middle-aged person. I was an angry old person up until... 12 years ago. You look fucking good for 70, man. I can't you know, believe you're 70. And, yeah, take the good side of you know, on the camera. <laughs> it, it was... I was angry. I am bloody well angry. Justifiably? But you can find peace. You've got to find a good woman, you? You can find a level... doesn't matter whether it's a good woman, a good bloke, if you're that way inclined, yeah. which I'm not... You know, you can find a level where you're. So when you feel at ease with, so when you feel good karma with, so I feel at ease release. with myself now, as well. That's good. And I trust myself, which is something. Until I met George, I didn't. No. Fourteen years ago, you wouldn't have been sat here talking to me. You'd have either killed me or I'd have killed you. One of the two. There'd have been no ifs, no buts about that because I'd have robbed you bloody well blind. Fuck all to rob me. No, it doesn't matter. I'd have tried to rob you of what you didn't have. Never mind what you have. Yeah. And that was life. That was my life. You know, I'd get settled into a place, get a decent job and just fuck it up. Don't ask me why because I have no answers to that. But it was a cry. Well, that's, yeah, you, you know the answer. You, 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 you cry you for attention because fucking what's happened to you in the past? The inner turmoil. But do I regret it all? No, I don't. I've got no regrets either, but I haven't said that. I, I haven't been through the shit you've been I through. I regret the hurt that I caused... To others. I regret that bitterly. That's humble of you. It really is. It, it's not, you, I'd regret not wanting to kill these bastards what did it to no, you. No, you can't. You can't keep apologising to people because it becomes hollow. But I do regret those that I've hurt mentally, <coughs> physically, <coughs> you know, and... I've told girls all along the way how much I've loved them, shagged them and fucked off. Yeah, but who hasn't? No, but at the time I've kind of persuaded them that I meant it. Yeah, yeah, You know, yeah. I've gone into relationships. Let's do anything for a shag. Come on, well, look at who hasn't. them over. Robbed oh, them. robbed them. I wouldn't do that, like. You know, and not just robbed them of their goods, but of their dignity. Yeah. You know, and... I just leave him out of preference. I'm ashamed say. of that. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally, totally ashamed of that. But I can't undo it. 
No, you can't undo it. Right. You well, should... Going on to the next question from Amy Newman. What kind of therapeutic, psychological, professional help has Mike received, if any, and was it beneficial? Such an abuse of trust of children who have no one to fight for them. Mike is such a brave man being honest and open about his horrendous experiences. I received no help whatsoever. None, professionally. The help I received was from Georgie believing in me. And when she done that, that gave me... Um, oh, how can I put this? It gave me such a surge of help, well-being, that you just won't believe. You know, here was someone who actually believed in me for me. You know, yeah. the arse with fuck all. Because we had nothing. I had nothing. I used to, when I got out the shrink factory and she was still in it, I gave her a mobile phone and I used to ring her up at 8 o'clock at night and sing to her. <laughs> Honestly. And she'd never had anything like that. And I'd never done anything that to anybody. Yeah. You know, I'm the world's worst singer. And it was easier. Can you give us an example? No, I bloody well can't. <laughs> You're such an ass, aren't you? Honest <laughs> oh, to God. <laughs> he wants I, me to play the banjo, one of you. <laughs> I used to, I'd love to play a banjo. And I, I used to tell her of my dreams Usually. for her. And, and I said to her one day, we were just walking in Stanley Park and she was only out for a couple of hours and it was quite a nice day. I said, I said Georgie, I'm going to take you away from all this shit. And she just looked at me as if to say, yeah, right, I heard it all before. But I did. Yeah. You know, she meant and she means so much. You know, she really, really is. And it, she turns me on 24-7, and I don't mean sexually. Yeah, 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 I know. I know if that I know makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense, yeah. She's, she's ripped my heart out and replaced it with hers. <laughs> so you've healed yourself, and love has been a huge factor. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. Next question is from Dylan Fowler. What's one thing in Mike's life that has helped him keep on going, even through the worst of it? Just answer that, really. Um, so before Georgie, then, did you have something that got you through worst moments? No. no. Did you just fall back on alco drugs. alcohol and drugs? Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Which only made it worse. Because once you sober up, the pain's still there. Yeah, the paranoia was raging. It, it was going bloody well palmy, you know. And um, the more drugs I took, the stupider I became. But the more you tried to and, blank it out. Well, you can't blank it out with acid. No. You know, it just became... I was psychotic, completely off the wall. I, I used to have 
nightmares that were dreams, you know, and I absolutely craved fame and fortune. I thought I was a bloody star. Us is the thinking man, drug. You know, I, I really did. And I wrote my life story for a judge. Yeah. Right? And I said, before you weigh me off, asshole, read this. 400 <laughs> full scat pages of longhand. <laughs> and I'll give him his due. He took it away. And the case was adjourned. I was thrown into Brixton to await sentencing. And when I came back, he said, I've read this sad missive three years. And I thought, it wasn't that fucking sad, was it, mate? (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? But I thought to myself, I had visions of being this world-class author. You know, they were going to read my life story. A bloody big film was going to be made of it. I was going to be a multi-millionaire. Might happen yet, you know. And I don't want it to happen. And um, it didn't happen. You know what I mean? And I thought, God... Is this it? Is this my life? And when you're coming down on drugs, it hits you ten times more than when you're going up. Oh, of course, yeah. You know, and... uh, It's hard to describe. It it, it really is hard. I'd never come down off the drugs when I was doing drugs, because I But you see, I'm... I'd take them every day. I'd never fucking be out of a sober day, really. I'm very lucky, because... When Meat Rack Boy came out, I don't know how you got hold of it. I haven't got a clue, right? But the podcast that I've done, that absolutely sealed the heat in the healing. That hit the nail right on the fucking head. Just by you and, talking like this, you're helping thousands of people out there, you know that, don't you? And I thought I wasn't interested in thousands of people when I'd done it. Yeah. I didn't have a clue. I thought maybe three or four thousand. I didn't know who the bloody hell Sean Atwood was. I'd never heard of him. Never seen a podcast of his at all. He's proper evil, Sean Atwood. You know, and I, I just didn't know. And I didn't know what the response. Sean said to me at the end, he said, you're going to get thousands of messages. Oh, yeah. And I thought, you're talking a lot of old bollocks, son, but I'm glad you've been, you know. And I've had. I'm indated with them. I can't keep up with them. Seriously. And um, it's taken over my life. But in a nice way. Yeah. Where the abuse had taken over my life and it was bad. This has taken it over, and I know. Doesn't it feel good that you can, like, people uh, reach out for help? You can actually help someone. And you by you helping them, <coughs> you're helping yourself. I don't know if I am helping them, you know. You just tell I, them the I truth. I can't say. 
It might be... I'm relieving them of a burden, I think. So you're helping. You know, and um, I hope, I, I really do hope that one day this filth will be eradicated. Yeah. You know, that that is, if I pray, that is my prayer. I can't see it ever ending. While there's a market, there'll always be a victim. Exactly. <coughs> and it's sad... But I hope that by people hearing me, seeing me, reading the book, and if they want a copy of Meat Rat, boy, I'll give them a fucking copy. I couldn't give a toss, you know. I'll, I get them printed and I send them out. I sent 100 out this week. What's the actual price of them, though? A tenner on Amazon. There were no books given out. You paid £10 on Amazon, you miserable bastards. Buy one. No, you can't say that because... A victim is already living a life of misery, you know, but they can read it for free on Kindle. If yeah. they go into the library, the library will get them a copy because it has an ISPN number on it, you know, so that tells you it's a published book, right? And the link is in the description box below the video. There's also a link to the James English podcast, which was the first podcast Mike did. You said you didn't know how, how I found out about you. That was how I found out about you. It was through my podcast brother, James English. So shout out to James. And, yeah, they can have a copy. I don't care. You know? Well, let me move on to the next question then. Um, this is from Mojo. Can you ask him for any names that he remembers? My hat goes off to you, Mike. We can sort of understand, mate why you were mentally unstable. I'm an ex-soldier with PTSD, and it doesn't just affect me, it affects those around me that love me. Um, was Mike ever working on the airport runway over in the Falklands? No, I, in the Falklands, I was on Dorada, which was a fishery protection vessel. But I did work for a short period before they fucked me off because... I don't think they wanted me working there. It was a bit of a pain to them. I worked for gardeners who were the contractors at the MPA. And um, I loved it. I loved the Falkland Islands. I absolutely loved the place. I loved the people who were known as Bennies. And uh, Angie, if, you, if this is kept in... And you see this. Thank you for the times that we had. Love you. <laughs> and um, it's a fantastic place. And I don't know, PTSD, I don't exactly know what it is. You know? Flashbacks to intensity. Yeah, post-massive stress disorder. Yeah, like um, nightmares and your adrenaline's going, your heart's going. I get that today. Like shell shock. Yeah, it was known as shell shock. Yeah. I get that today, you know, with what I went through. It's a different scale, obviously. But um, I've seen people murdered. Yeah. I've seen people brutally beaten to within an inch of their life, you know, and I, I firmly believe that there is... No medical treatment for this. 
Well, I, I, my belief is if you go to join the army, you're going to see things you don't necessarily want to see. If you don't necessarily it's, want to see them, don't join the fucking army. It's a different world today. It, it, it's a total different world. But I, I firmly believe that if something is traumatising your mind, then you have to talk about it. And I don't think that it's really a good thing to talk to a professional because what the fuck does a professional know? You've got to speak to someone, someone a victim. who has been through it. Yeah. Who knows? And this is why I get so many people talking to me on the internet or sending me messages because they're thinking to themselves, hold on, this bloke's got a little bit more sense than a shrink because he's been there. His ass has been fucked. Yeah. Well and truly. You know, the same as mine was when I was abused. So, therefore, I can identify with this guy, you know, and forgive me for the language, but I don't do and I won't do politically correct. A fucked person is a fucked person, you know. Someone who's been bummed has been bummed. It's as simple as that. A punch is a punch. And I won't pull punches. Mm. I refuse to pull punches. And if people don't like it, don't talk to me. I'm easy about that. You know, if you've been hurt, you have been hurt. And a plaster doesn't cover hurt. No, no, it doesn't. Next question from Tracy Wilson. I would like to know, does he ever regret not approaching his mother when he went searching for her and getting answers as to why she put them into Kerr, or was the resentment and blame he had towards her just too much to handle at that time? I fucking hated her. Hated her with a passion. And I hate the parents who abandon their children. I hate them today, I hated them yesterday, and I'll hate them tomorrow. There is no sound reason to abandon a child. And I did find my mother. And I think I told you, Sean, she's remarried. When I found her, 30 years old, living in Battersea, had a hardware shop. And I went two or three times to the hardware shop to ensure that it was her. Never spoke a word apart from the third time. And she said to me, can I help you, sir? And I said, you couldn't 30 years ago, so I don't suppose you can now, and walked out. And I have... Yeah, I do regret that I didn't ask her why. But I guess she had her own reasons. And I've discovered... Since, in fact, I discovered last week that she wasn't married to the old man. A friend of mine has done some deep researching and she was married to someone else at the time. So she was playing away? So, well, she was a prostitute. And, uh, or as the records would say, a good time girl. And um, Doris Day, she most certainly wasn't. 
and she's dead now. We've discovered that. I know where she's buried. You know, we learnt that. But... Don't you wish you'd asked why, though? No, because I regret very much being rude to her. I regret going and finding her. She must have had her reasons. Three kids she abandoned. Yeah, fucking hell, be the bastard. You know, you got, you, 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 you. Doesn't matter. Doesn't you, matter. You bound to be fucking rude. This is just after the war, you know, and um, women had to do what women had to do. Simple as that. You know, I, don't I know think where, you're too kind hearted, Michelle. I don't know where her father was. Her uh, husband, sorry. I know that um, they lived in a pub in Kilburn. We've discovered that. And, um, but after that, I don't know. So she wasn't in your life then, really? No. So Not at all. So Colleen Lynch has asked. Can you ask Mike how he got rid of his hatred for everything and everyone? Thanks. He is so brave, and I don't know how he got through all of that. I was abused at four years old, and it makes you hate the world. So she's asking how you got rid of your hatred. I met George. It's as simple as that. I hated the world. I hated the people in it. I hated myself. And it was through a haze of drugs, though, that I was hating. You know, I, I used to feel sorry for myself, which I don't now. You know, I didn't have a sense of humour. But now, look. I do now. <laughs> Fuck everything and become a pirate. You know, I do have a sense of humour. But I met Georgie and um, she turned it all round. I mean, I don't think she even liked me at the time, but she wanted a fag, to be quite honest. <laughs> I don't think she likes me now <laughs> at times. <laughs> but... You must be doing something right if you never fucking argued, though. I don't know, for... I'm not brave, and I can't stress this enough. And I hate being classed as brave or an inspiration or a leader. I'm a guy who found a deep, deep love and trust of someone and came to his senses. You can't stop being an inspiration to someone. You know, it's as simple as that. So Wench Hooverbore has asked, does Mike think things have gotten worse regarding child abuse or does he feel things are not as bad as when you were a child? It's changed. It's changed. You only have to look at Rochdale, Rotherham. It's... I'm not going to put it all down to immigrants. They're doing what the Maltese done in the East End of London, you know, in the, although they're doing it on a greater scale with younger kids. But it's a breakdown on, of society because all these kids, there is no future for them as they see it. 
right? Mum and dad are out of work. Although I firmly, firmly, I've never signed a dole in my life. And I firmly believe <coughs> the mums and dads, they're on the dole. They have no future. The child sees no future for themselves. Hence, you're getting the stabbings on the street because the lads are going out stabbing everybody in sight to get something. Drug gangs. Right? You can't say because you're on the dole you've got no future, though. But you haven't got a future on the dole. What future do you have? You make one, you get out know, and get a job, but there's plenty of people on the dole who, like, they've just got out of prison. But, well, old man, that was what I was just saying, right, before you rudely interrupted me. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing to stop you turning a pound. No, Legally. Nothing. No. You can wash a car, you can wash a window, you can cut some grass, you can do a bit of painting, right, if you want to. But society, successive governments, have made it so easy. I see them in the town where I live, outside the bloody food bank. You've got the girly with the sprog in the pram, right, going to the food bank. Yeah. She's got all her nails painted up, the Union Jack and all that bollocks saying. on every... Their <laughs> extensions... With the latest iPhone stuck to her ear and the child has got half a burger in its mouth and a fucking tablet in its hand. Now, the system of benefits wasn't designed for that shit. No, it wasn't. Right? You get benefits and you get enough to live on. Benefits isn't designed to give you Sky TV. And I get fucking angry at this, very, very angry about it. They right. stop benefits quick, though, because I don't, <coughs> I don't officially work apart from what I do with Sean. And basically, it's like, because my wife works and she's on over 18 grand, not much of over, but because of that, I'm entitled to nothing, which I think is fucking wrong, because it shouldn't be up to my wife to look after me. No, it used to be the man brings the beef in, the old girl cooks it. Yeah. And I, you know... It, in the days gone by, let's have it right here. But I should be entitled to a benefit because I'm married and my wife brings in. It doesn't matter what my but wife brings in. you can get dull. In. No, I can't get fuck all. Why? Because as a married couple, you, it, it goes by your joint income. I wouldn't know. And if you earn over 17 grand a year, they deduct whatever you... It's 17 grand, not enough to live on. Is it fuck? What? 17 grand That's a year. That's hundred a week. You've got fucking £550 fucking rent for one. You've got your bills. What world are you living in? Well, I'm sorry, but um, the way I see it, I get as a pension 160 quid a week. That's a, it's a state pension. Seven, this is between two people. And I get... A, a pension benefit, uh, whatever it is for Georgie, right? Yeah. We have something like 300 quid a week to live on, which, funny enough, I find enough. Because you're frugal. But we don't go anywhere. And my designer label is Oxfam. 
yeah. fucking art foundation. Well, this day and age, it's not, it's not enough. You haven't, you haven't seen Wild Man's beer bill? <laughs> Half of it's but, on beer. Ciders. But these, three litres. Glug, glug, glug. These young girls, you know, they're getting their housing benefit paid. Yeah. The days have gone when you got a council house. you got to get them, do you? Sprog. No. You know what I mean? Those days are gone. But they get housing benefit. They get child benefit. Well, they still get a house, they, but it's like it's private now, isn't it? You get a private house matter. and the council pays for it. Right, no. we're going to have to move on because we're almost right. at two hours. We've still got a page and a half of questions. Right, sorry. That's okay. Um, Rebecca. Funny question. Let's debate. <laughs> Rebecca Bass. This is the first interview. Don't worry, he's done this. It's like an amateur with the questions. <laughs> no, he's not. He's fully professional. Leave him alone. That's I'd like funny. to know how Mike actually healed. They've listened to both interviews and it sounds like quitting drugs and forgiving himself was a big piece of it. But that's a very vague description. And I know it's a process. For example, when he got off drugs, did he have urges to numb? Replace it with another vice for relief. Deal with flashbacks, nightmares. When did he start accepting physical touch? Again, don't have to answer all these. Uh, maybe a, a, a variety. I got nutted off. What do you mean? Sectioned. Okay. Right. I came off the drugs and it, it was hard. Two weeks of cold turkey, right? Was fucking hard, locked in a room. Because that's what I done. I locked. I only came out to get water for coffee, nothing else. Darkened curtains, and I had Leonard Cohen on a loop. <laughs> the most suicidal music you could ever wish to listen to. Apart from the Smiths, but was my savior. And I got nutted off because a woman was stupid enough in the middle of the winter to give me three. Fucking cold pilchards for tea for an evening meal. And I had a bite of throat with a knife in my hand in a homeless hospital telling her to pick the window she wanted her head to go out because her body was going out the other fucker. She couldn't even heat them up. Right? Now, this is God's honest truth. It was the Ashley Foundation Hostel, right, in Blackpool. And Oak House was the name of the place. And suddenly it hit me. What are you doing? No drugs in me. I hadn't had a drug for two weeks. What are you doing? And I went in and I said to the member of staff, I said, I need help. And the manageress, Debbie Ellis, bless her, came in later on and I went in to her office and I said, Debbie, I need help. I'm a mess. And she said, yeah, you are. And they had me into a doctor the next day, nutted off. And I went to the shrink factory in Blackpool. Parkwood. And I met Georgie the, the first morning, the following morning that I was taken in. And I thought to myself... There's got to be more to life than the mess that I'm in. And I didn't touch Georgie for yonks. 
you know, we wouldn't hold hands. We'd go for walks in the park and there were no sexual shenanigans or any of that nonsense, right? We were both lunatics. But we used to sit at a table. She was in her ward, I was in my ward, and we'd sit at the same table and we'd talk and I'd tell her of my dreams, of what I wanted, what I wanted to do. And I said to her, and I'll never forget this. She said to me one day, she said, Mike, she said, well, she never calls me Mike, she calls me Michael. Well, I'm like a little school mom. She said, Michael, she said, what do you want? I said, what, apart from you, you mean? Because I wanted to shag her badly. I really did. You know, she turned me on big style. And I said, I want to be a wandering troubadour. <laughs> And she said, what do you mean? She didn't know what a troubadour was. I don't. I'm waiting for you to tell me. <laughs> I wanted to go around and get people in market squares, just draw a crowd and tell them stories. OK. That's what I wanted to do. Is that what a troubadour is? Yeah, I'd had enough of the sea. Yeah. I'd have had enough of the messing about. I was off the drugs, totally clean. I was getting, yeah, I was getting the odd twinge. Of course, I was getting a bloody twinge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was, I was fighting my demons. And I said, my head was telling me, you need drugs. And my heart was telling me, shut the fuck up, idiot. You need to settle. Let it settle. And I thought, I'm going to follow the heart instead of the head. Good move. And I did. Hence, we're here today. Yeah. I hope that answers her question. Yeah. Carolyn has asked, does Mike have children and are they estranged? Yes. What is it about Georgie that works while his other relationships didn't? Is he angry at God? What type of therapy did he get? How many questions is she fucking getting? It should be one question, one person. Tell him I love him and he is brave and he has nothing to be ashamed of. The perpetrators carry the shame. Love from Canada. Think I have a son, Christian, who should be called Beezlebub, <laughs> who's a, a murderer, a killer. Mm-hmm. He, he killed someone over 40 quid worth of drugs. Probably um, had his reasons. We, no, he didn't have any. That's not a good enough reason to kill someone. Let me just say at this point, um, the views of Wild Man and the Guest do not represent my own views. <laughs> and alcohol is involved in this interview. <laughs> no, fair play okay. to him. He, he's got his... Christian, I love Christian to death, but I failed him. Big style. Yeah. Massive style when I fucked off from his mother. But he came out on... New Year's Eve. He got an eight-year sentence for manslaughter. Mm-hmm. I killed a guy, one stab, bang. Oh, so he, he got out? The New Year's Eve. So since our last interview? Yes. Oh, I didn't know this. Oh, well. And, See, um, he judges. So how's that going? I rang him and got in touch with him. And he was full of promises. He said, I don't have a mobile phone. 
and all this nonsense. I said, that's good. Stay off Facebook. I said, I supported him, but he went into prison a drug addict and he came out a drug addict. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, if you only got eight years, it wasn't killing, it was manslaughter. It was manslaughter. They accepted a plea halfway through the trial of manslaughter. Yeah. So there is a he reason him. behind it. He killed yeah, him. Yeah, he did, but he's, he had the reason. Otherwise it would have been murder. No, you have no reason to kill anybody. Not in this day and age. Well, someone's going to kill you. You've got to take self-defence, haven't you? No. He, the guy wanted his 40 quid. And, but it, it, anyway, it doesn't matter. Okay. He killed him. And he came out, he, he served the four years. Yeah. This is a kid, a 34-year-old boy, man, who refuses point blank to do anything the authorities want him to do. Mm-hmm. Refuses to work in the jail. Goes on the bloody roof in the jail. He got ran up huge debts in the jail, which his mother paid off for him. Of space and shit. Yeah, right. I rang the jail. He asked me, he rang me up and he said, can you pay 600 quid, Dad? And I said, no, I bloody well can't. Yeah. I could have done. He said, but I'm going to get killed. Well, you have to get killed, Christian. I'm not paying your drug debt. And I certainly am not giving my number to a bloody drug dealer. To a third way of fucking transfer, yeah. Right? I sent him money for himself, but he just consistently lied. Now, call me hypocritical with this one, because I've been where he's been, although I've never done spice or any of that crap. But he came out on New Year's Eve. And um, I rang him, spoke to him, and he had, he told me he had so many hopes for the future. Mm-hmm. And I said, I support you, Christian. New Year's Day, his mother had given him a phone, bang on Facebook. The first thing that I saw, I'm a free man in block capitals, exclamation marks. And then underneath was a stream of messages from his old friends. So he's got to go back to his So I rang him up. I said, Christian, what are you doing? This is not good. And he just said to me, and I can show you this. He said to me, you're talking to me like I'm in the fucking prison. And put the phone down. Click the phone off. No, he said, I can't be bothered to talk to you when you're like this. So I sent him a text and I've got it here in my pocket. And I said, when you've got some manners, you talk to me. He's not answered. He's not got back to me. He probably thinks you're being judgmental. I don't care. I really don't care. It does actually sound a bit judgmental because you've done exactly the same thing. But I'm dead. Yeah, but I've been there. It doesn't mean that you can tell someone else to do that. Yeah, it gives me my, as his dad, it gives me a right to tell him. I've tried him. I sent him money when he was in the jail, when he asked for it. I, when he wanted a stereo, I sent him the money to buy a stereo. Yeah. He didn't buy it. Drugs. He spent it on fucking drugs. Mm. He's lied consistently. He wanted to come to my hometown. And I said, Christian, you won't last five minutes. This is a guy who, when he was out, 
I went down and picked up and brought him up mm. for a weekend. His knees, legs were going like a clap as he didn't want to be there. So, and he told me he didn't want to be there. So I got him a ticket to go home, who at the bus station in Blackpool, a gay couple that he gave dogs abuse to, waiting for the same coach. Dogs abuse. A black guy going to Birmingham, and he gave dogs abuse to him so bad that the bus driver said, listen, any of your nonsense on this bus... I'll take you straight to a police station. Got a chip on his shoulder then, Annie. But he's not willing to learn. You you would have thought. How old is he? 34. Yeah, he's he's gone that path. You you don't understand that of a teenager, I suppose, but You would have thought he'd have learned from my lessons. Yeah. You know? But he doesn't. He probably thinks you're the, the, you're the last go... person to tell him. He probably thinks he knows better. How do you go into jail, a drug addict? And come out one. And come out one. It's all around you everywhere, isn't it, in jail? The spice and the heroin. Doesn't matter, you can say no. Yeah, that's true. You can say no. True. You know, the promises he gave me. I remember when he rang me, when he first got arrested on the 23rd of December for murder and charged with murder, and he said, I'm frightened, Dad. I said, not as frightened as I am for you. You know, and the promises he made. And I said, when you go on remand in the local prison, I said, keep your head down. I said, you're a big fish in a small pond. Mm -hmm. I said, but when you go to dispersal, you're a tiny little fish in a fucking big pond. And there's murderers there, killers, who have done far, far worse than you, who will just eat you. You're prey, mate. And he took no notice. And he used to ring me up and go, I'm on basics. Why? What have you done? Well, I've done nothing, but they say I was under the influence of drugs. Well, they must have bloody well tested you. What's basics? I mean, where they just take you your nothing. TV and take your yeah, phone and all that, take you just I mean, 30 you days or whatever. Yeah, yeah my day didn't get TV. For I know, day. yeah, but in Arizona you did. When I was in Walton, you had no TV. You still pissing shit in the bucket. Yeah. But in Arizona, you had a TV. But any time you fucked up, they'd come and take your TV away. And they'd take your fan and fucking anything that was like a luxury. Yeah. So let's not finish on this sad note then. No. Um, all these people all over the world asked, you know, for you to come back on and they wanted to um, see how you're doing. And what, what would you like to tell all those people that are watching this? It's frightened me, big style. It's terrified me. I didn't ever, ever want, ask for, or expect the reaction that I've had. But I feel blessed, if blessed is the right word for someone who don't believe in God. I feel extremely, what's the word? Proud? Yeah, proud is a very, very good word that... People have kind of understood where I come from. I talk straight. I shoot from the hip. I could debate with you for hours, I honestly could. A girl once said to me, well, actually the other night she rang me up. She, she lives in Germany. And she said, 
I've watched the Sean. I'm sick of fucking Sean Atwood. <laughs> <laughs> I've known her all my life. How did the guy feel? I've watched the Sean Atwood interview. She said, and I could talk to you about cling film. And I started laughing. <laughs> this is two o'clock in the bloody morning. Yeah. I said, oh, I said, there's many things you can do with cling film. <laughs> <laughs> but. I am so proud of what I have achieved in the last 12 years. I'm very, very proud of Meat Rack Boy. Yeah. That you, no one will ever know how proud I am of that book. And I'm proud of the fact that the new book, Out of the Darkness, will come out. In May. I am having to crowdfund it. What's wrong with that? Regardless of whether I get the money or not, it will be got. And the t shirts, uh, where can I show this? We, we, that t shirt, I'm going to explain. The octopus, a jolly little fella, has eight tentacles. Mm-hmm. Octopus represents the paedophile. Because all paedophiles smile. Mm. They draw. Kids won't go to someone who's scowling. No, they won't. These are children in the tentacles. That's my tentacle. Chopped off. Yeah. I escaped the octopus. You can too. Wow. It's deeper, really. Yeah. That's what it represents. Now, I am selling these. They're a tenner apiece. Right, I paid for these. Yeah, to be printed. So is that done. they can get them through the crowdfunding link. Get them through me. Yeah. Or all all and your put, details will be in the description box. If you're watching this, you want the t-shirt or the book, click down in the description box below the video. And on Facebook, don't send me the money. Put it into the crowdfunding because I don't expect something for nothing. That's why I put my own money into these to go into crowdfunding. I'll make a pound a piece on those. Yeah. But it'll go into crowdfunding. Yeah. To get the book. And then when the book comes out, the book, not for me, Out of the Darkness, the Meat Rack Boy story, it's so Georgie can have a future. And be looked after. Did Georgie want to come in and say anything I on camera? Know. You have to ask her. I'll, I'll, I'll give you ten Tell minutes. her to come in. Tell yeah. her to come in. I'll just do some shout-outs while I'm going ask her if she wants to come in. Um, I'd like to shout-out to all the other people who sent questions in. Maybe we can, on a third podcast, we can get your questions out there. Paddy Devlin, Zimbalia Treats, 1969 Vanessa, D Cecilia, Tracy Gray, um... I think they're all the questions that we've not we've, they can not, ask we've me. not asked. They can ask me and on Facebook and I'll give them answers. Okay, and right. I'd also a huge thank you to everyone who subscribed to the channel. Subscription logo is in the bottom right-hand corner. All the people who've donated in the, to the channel. She's so not going to come can, in, is she? No, she's not no. coming. So we no. can do podcasts like this in a professional studio. Um, <clears throat> PayPal. Patreon, just giving all those links are in the description box below, down there, as well as all the links to Mike stuff. And if you are going through something in your life, 
if you've gone through the the hor- horrific anything as horrific as like Mike has or or anything else comparable. Mike says you can contact him, you can reach out, he FaceTimes people, his link's down there. And we are going to um, do some research on some organisations that we see that that are, are trying to help people as well. We'll try and get some of those links in there as well. One more thing, buy my T-shirt too. I'm a fat bastard now, I'm going on this all-meat diet. But to do that, I need food and I need for food. So go to everpress.com and my T-shirts are on there. Because he needs beer money as well.